1967 or something, whenever that was, on a Wednesday night, we took a look at the life and calling of the Apostle Simon Peter. We also talked about what almost appears as three tiers of apostolic closeness in relationship to Jesus. In the first tier, those closest to Jesus, we find Peter and Andrew and James and John. Peter's brother, Andrew, he's the least known of the four disciples in that group. But tonight we want to talk about him, and I'm entitling this, well, it's the, the series is The Apostles, Their Story and How It Should Impact Ours. But the title tonight is The Leader in the background, the leader in the background. Although he was a member of a dominant foursome of, of men, Andrew is ordinarily left in the background. He was not included in some of the important events that we see Peter, James, and John. Matthew 17 talks about the transfiguration, and it lists Peter, James, and John, but not Andrew. Mark 5:37, it lists, uh, he says, suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John. So what's going on here? I mean, you could, do you think you would have some hurt feelings? You know, I mean, your, your brother and your two closest buddies, and you're kind of in this tier, but some of the most important times that happen in Scripture, Andrew's left out. That's a tough thing to deal with. And Andrew, get this, if you want to memorize this for Bible trivia, Andrew was actually the First of all of the disciples to be called. So if you want to ask your kids, see if they're paying attention tonight. When you go home, you, on your way home, you say, who was the first disciple to be called? And we'll see if they're paying attention. I'm going to ask my kids that question too, so hopefully they're paying attention. John 1.35 says, again the next day, John stood, two of his disciples, this is John the Baptist. And looking on Jesus, he said, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said unto them, What seek ye? They said, Rabbi, which is interpreted master, where dwellest thou? He said unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. It was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He was actually responsible, Andrew was, for introducing his brother Peter to Jesus. Peter and Andrew had probably been lifelong companions with the other set of fishermen and brothers from Capernaum, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. The four of them apparently shared common spiritual interests before they met Christ. They evidently took a sabbatical from the fishing business and visited the wilderness where John the Baptist was preaching. And that is where they first met Jesus Christ. When they returned to fishing before Jesus called them to be full-time disciples, they were, they were partners in the fishing business, and so it was quite natural that this little group formed a cohesive unit within the 12. In many ways, these four probably were in, inseparable, Peter, James, John, and, and, uh, and Andrew. All four of them obviously wanted to be leaders, and folks, their eagerness to lead is probably what caused a lot of clashes as they were together in a group. But it ultimately became immensely valuable after Christ ascended, and he empowered them to go lead the first century church of that time. Of the four in the inner circle, however, Andrew was the, 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 the conspicuous one. He, scripture doesn't tell us a lot about him. You can practically count on one hand how many times he's mentioned specifically in the Gospels. 
In fact, apart from the place where all the 12 disciples are listed, Andrew's name only appears nine times. And most of the time, it's just referencing him in passing. Andrew lived in the shadow of who? His better known brother, Peter. Many of the verses that actually reference him, we just read it. They reference him as, hey, yeah, that's Andrew, Peter's brother. How would you like to be known like that? You know, like, uh, oh, yeah. I make jokes. Uh, when, I was, when I was teaching this at Purpose Institute, and, and um, one of the, the students' wife was cleaning the church, and he's like, that's my wife. And I said, I haven't met your wife. And I said, I want to meet her. I said, I heard you're this man's wife. And she said, yes, I am. And I said, well, do you have a name, or do I just refer to you as this man's wife? Right? I mean, nobody wants to be known as just, oh, that's his girlfriend. That's her boyfriend. That's, that's her son. That's, oh, do you know whose son that is? That's this person. No. We want to be known as my name. My name is Gary or Andrew, right? But a lot of times he's just known as, ah, it's Peter's brother. I think we could already pause. And I think we can already learn a lot from him about how to serve Jesus while not allowing yourself to be offended. In such situations where one brother overshadows another, it's common, think about in this day and age, to find resentment, strong sibling rivalry, or even estrangement. But in Andrew's case, there is no evidence that he begrudged Peter's dominance. Again, it was Andrew who brought Peter to Christ in the first place. He did this immediately without hesitation. And of course, hey, I think we all, we all know our siblings' personality. Let the church say amen, right? How many of you have a sibling? Raise your hand. How many of you have a sibling that goes to this church? Raise your hand. How many of you think your sibling's awesome? I'm watching my sister. Just wanted to ask that question for her. So <laughs> That's the only reason I, I just was, she didn't raise her hand. So somebody lay hands on her, please. But. You know your sibling's personality. It's not like Andrew said, I'm going to go get Peter and have him follow Jesus. And then he comes, he's like, whoa, he's a little intense. I didn't see that one coming. Like he knew what was going to happen. But he brought his older brother anyway. That, that fact alone says something about Andrew. Almost everything scripture tells us about Andrew shows that he had the heart for Effective ministry in the background. He didn't seek to be the center of attention. He did not seem to resent those who labored in the limelight. Peter tended to rush ahead foolishly at times and say the wrong things where Jesus had to say, get thee behind me, Satan. He was often brash, clumsy, hasty, impulsive. Then you have James and John. They're nicknamed the, th the sons of thunder. We're going to look at them here in the next few weeks. They were also evidently the ones who provoked many of the arguments about who was the greatest. But do you know there's never a hint of that with Andrew? Whenever he speaks, which is rare in Scripture, he always says the right thing. Whenever he acts apart from other disciples, he does what's right. Get this, Scripture never attaches any dishonor to Andrew's actions when it mentions him by name. That's powerful. 
Andrew may be a better model for most church leaders than Peter. How many of you heard that in a message before? Andrew might be a better model for church leaders than Peter. Why? Because most who enter the ministry will labor in relative obscurity like Andrew did, as opposed to being renowned and prominent like Peter. Andrew's personal encounter with Jesus takes place a few months after Jesus' baptism. Andrew and John are standing there next to John the Baptist. He, he, Jesus walks by, and he says in John 1.35, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. We read this, but look at verse 39. It says, He saith unto them, Come and see, and they went. One of them heard John speak, was Andrew, Simon's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which is interpreted the Christ. But notice in the 38th verse, look at verse 38. Jesus looks at them and says, what seek ye? What are you looking for? And it says it was the 10th hour. The 10th hour in the Jewish time clock would have been four in the afternoon. Can you imagine? Jesus, where do you come from? Come and see. And it's four in the afternoon. They followed him to the place where he was staying. And scripture says they spent the remainder of the day with him. Since this was near John the Baptist in the wilderness, it was probably a rented house or possibly just a room in a rustic inn. But these two disciples were privileged to spend the entire evening and afternoon with Jesus, and they left convinced that they had found the true Messiah. They met, became acquainted with, and began to be taught by Jesus every single day. But can you just pause before we move past that point and just put yourself in that position? You're following John the Baptist. He's teaching stuff that you're like, hey, this is awesome. The Messiah steps on the scene. Your teacher that you've been following says, that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So you're like, okay, well, I'm going to follow this guy then. Of course, with John's blessing, no doubt. And so they're like, hey, they, Jesus looks at him. They're following him. And he says, what do you want? What are you looking for? Hey, where do you stay? Well, come and see. Can you imagine that? These two guys got to go and see where Jesus Christ was staying. Spend that whole afternoon and evening in his presence by themselves. What would that have been like? That's incredible. Thus, Andrew and John became Jesus' first disciples. What an honor, what a privilege. As we mentioned in our lesson last time we got together, Peter and Andrew went back to Capernaum and continued their fishing careers after their initial meeting with Jesus. It was a later time, perhaps several months later, that Jesus came to, to Galilee to minister, and he encountered the brothers once again, and they were fishing. Matthew 4 tells us about this, verse 18. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. He said unto them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they were straightway, they left their nets, they followed him. And going from thence, he saw another two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets and he called them. 
And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. This was where they left the fishing for a permanent full-time discipleship. Luke also records this event, but guess what? In Luke's account of that exact event, Andrew isn't even mentioned. That's messed up. No doubt he was there. The other accounts talk about him. Luke's writing, and he's like, yeah, man, Peter, James, and John, this is where they were called. I wonder if Andrew ever got a chance, you know, like, hey, guys, man, y'all forgot me. I was there, too. How many people would leave the church over something like this? Probably a lot. He was certainly part of that group. He lived his whole life in the shadow of Peter, and he accepted that role. This was the very thing that made him so useful, his willingness to be a supporting actor off, and and, and it gave him insights into what other disciples couldn't see. When it came to dealing with people, for example, Andrew fully appreciated the value of a single soul. He was known for bringing individuals to Jesus, not crowds. Almost every time we see him in the gospel accounts, Andrew is bringing someone to Jesus. We already read about the time where he goes and gets his brother Peter, and that, sets, that incident sets the tone for Andrew's style of ministry. But guess what? At the feeding of the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fish, who was it that brought the boy to Jesus? It was Andrew. It was Andrew. All the other disciples were at a loss on what to do for food, how to obtain food. It's Andrew who says, uh, well, we got a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but I don't know what that's going to do. I can't say that he walked up with great faith and said, Jesus, do your miracle now. But no, he was like, hey, I'm at least bring him to Jesus, give Jesus a chance to do what he does. John chapter 12 tells us that some Greeks had sought up Philip, which Philip was a Greek name. Maybe that's why they sought him out. They were probably Gentiles who knew about Jesus and his reputation. But check this out in John 12, 20. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. What does Philip do? Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. That's significant because these men go to Philip and they're like, Philip, man, we want to meet this guy. Philip, can you hook us up? Why did Philip not just say, yeah, come on, let's go? No, perhaps he was naturally timid or maybe wasn't confident enough in his own relationship with Jesus. Maybe Philip was just flustered and confused. He didn't know what protocol was. I don't know. But in any case, Philip knew, if I take him to Andrew, Andrew knows how to introduce people to Jesus. Could could our introducing of people to Jesus have more to do with our own relationship with him than we realize? Philip knew, hey, Andrew, these guys want to meet Jesus. And Andrew says, Well, come on, let's go. Jesus, I want to introduce you to some guys that want to meet you. 
He had no hesitation. Hey, we got, a, we got a terrible situation in our hands. People are hungry, and there's no way to feed them. Hey, this guy's five loaves, two fish. Bring him here, Jesus. So this guy, he's got a little lunch. He, I just wanted to give him to you, introduce you. Andrew knew I can introduce people to Jesus. But look at their situation. Look at, look at I mean, some, some of these things... Greeks, they weren't supposed to, Gentiles, they weren't supposed to come. Well, the, the five loaves and two fish, there ain't, ain't nothing supposed to happen with that. Why are you going to feed 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish? Andrew looked at it like this. I don't care what the odds are about someone's life or their situation. I am going to introduce them to Jesus and give Jesus a chance to do what only Jesus can do. And that's beautiful. Because we're going to have a lot of people walk through these doors that their, their situation might look impossible or frustrating or hopeless. But if we will say, hey, I know the one thing I know to do. I might not have all the answers. I might not be able to explain how to work through this. But I am good at introducing someone to Jesus. We need some Andrews at Refuge Church that say, I know if I can just get someone in the presence of Jesus Christ that he can change their situation. Andrew wasn't confused when someone wanted to see Jesus. He brought them. When you spend time, why? Because when you spend time with Jesus, you value the individual. Because you understand that each individual has intrinsic value to Jesus Christ. Andrew was obviously comfortable introducing people to Christ. He did it so often. He apparently knew Jesus well, had no insecurities about bringing others to him. And think about this. In John 1, he brought Peter and introduced him to Jesus. Then he brings the Greeks and introduced them to Jesus. So him introducing Peter to Jesus technically makes him the first home missionary. And bringing Greeks to Jesus makes him the first global missionary. One thing that I've seen, and many of you have probably seen also, is that the most effective and important aspects of evangelism and discipleship usually take place on an individual and a personal level. Most people do not come to Christ as an immediate response to a sermon they heard in a crowded setting. They come to Christ because of the influence of one individual. Andrew fully understood his influence as an individual to another individual. Andrew and his brothers Peter, and his brother Peter had evangelistic hearts. But guess what? Their methods were totally different. Peter preached at Pentecost, and 3,000 people were added to the church. And most of us would love that role. Even if you say you're not a preacher, imagine what that'd be like to get done with the message and people are going, what you, I got 423 over here. I got 618 from the back corner. Man, how many is that now? That's 2,100. How many did you get? You got, you got 113 over there. And then we got over 3,000 people. That would have been exhilarating. And that's where a lot of us want to live. Oh, I'd love to preach that conference and for those thousand people. I'd love to make that impact. That'd be beautiful. Oh, man. 
But nothing in scripture indicates that Andrew ever preached a message to a crowd or masses of people. But remember, Andrew was the one that brought Peter to Christ. Andrew was the one that brought the lad, brought the Greeks, brought Peter who preached the message. Sometimes you might not be the one that influences thousands of people, but you're going to be the one who disciples one who influences thousands of people. You see, too many people think that they don't have influence because they can't speak in front of groups. But every church needs people who are willing to invest in and disciple the individual. They see the power of one person that they will stop. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this on Sunday. But the power of one person. Peter, Peter saying, oh, man, I'm preaching this weekend. There's supposed to be 5,000 people in attendance. Oh, Hallelujah. And no doubt you read some of their conversations, James, John, Peter, they probably talked to each other about it. They probably bragged about it half the time. And Andrew's the one that we don't see him doing some of that. But he's the one that's walking off going, hey, I notice there's a guy over here. I notice there's a lady over here. I'm going to just bring this person to Jesus. Because I'm confident that me and Jesus have enough of a relationship that I can always interrupt what he's doing to bring someone into his presence. That's Andrew. The Bible doesn't record as we wrap up tonight. The Bible doesn't record what happened to Andrew after Pentecost. Whatever role he played in the church, he remained behind the scenes. Tradition says he took the gospel north and he was ultimately crucified in southern Greece near Athens. One account says he led the wife of a Roman governor to Christ and that infuriated her husband. He demanded that his wife recant her devotion to Jesus. She refused, so the governor had Andrew crucified. Was Andrew slighted? Always living in the shadows and, man, that was not fair. Gets forgotten off these lists sometimes. I would argue that he was not slighted. He was privileged. He was the very first one to hear how Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God and how Jesus was going to take away the sin of the world. He was the first person to hear that. Before anybody else, Andrew heard about Jesus. He was the first part of that inner circle given intimate access to Jesus. His name will be inscribed along the names of the other apostles on the foundations of the eternal city of New Jerusalem. Best of all, Andrew had a whole lifetime privilege doing what he loved best. His whole life he spent introducing people to Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet? Folks, I'll say this. Thank God for people like Andrew. Quiet individuals who labor faithfully and sometimes inconspicuously. 
who give sacrificial gifts and don't receive much recognition. Many of you will never stand in this pulpit and hold a microphone. Many of you will never be in front of a group of people. You may never impact more than one life at a time. But do not think for a moment that you are insignificant because you're only impacting one life. That one life matters to Jesus Christ. And that's why when Andrew would bring these people, Jesus would talk to them. Jesus would impact them. And in many cases, that person that you are bringing to Jesus is going to impact the masses. See, people like Andrew, they don't seek the recognition. They just want to hear from the Lord, well done, my good and my faithful servant. And they want to get as many individuals to hear that as possible. And so I'm wondering, you know, as we do this series, you're going to see parts of your approach, outlook, personality in some of these people. Some of you might look at Peter and say, see, I kind of see myself in Peter. Andrew, James, John, Philip, Arthur, whatever it is. But I'm wondering how many people tonight see themselves in Andrew. And maybe this message is from God to encourage you about your value in the kingdom. When it seems like other people might forget you at times. Jesus sees your value. Jesus looks at you and he says, ah, that right there. That man or that woman sees the value of one soul. Is willing to make an impact in one individual. We need more. We need more of those in Refuge Church. We need more of people like Andrew that say, you know what? I just want to hear well done. I want as many people to come along and hear that right along with me. So I invite you tonight, before you leave, to find a place to pray. To pray about your life, your ministry, the individual maybe that God is laying on your heart to make a difference. And that you'd see your worth and your value tonight. There's going to be people who stand in front of the masses. We need people like that. But there's going to be some that never do that. And we desperately need those people just as much as we need Peter's. Because you know what? Peter, he's the one that he's, he's going to stand up and preach to thousands. But we need the Andrews who are going to reach the single individuals.